Well, we're continuing our series this morning on the spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts. We've been talking for two weeks now about the spiritual gifts, and this is part three of six parts concerning the spiritual gifts. We're going to take a couple of, uh, we're take a week break over the Easter weekend to, of course, talk about the resurrection, but we'll pick up after Easter and conclude this series, a series that we started really at the beginning of the year. And the reason I wanted to take so much time at the beginning of this year to preach on the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual gifts is because I genuinely want us as a church to fulfill our mission and accomplish our purpose, which is to bring revival to Bowmanville and beyond. Without the disciplines and without the gifts, there can be no revival. You can't have revival without spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts. Now, if you forget, our working definition of revival is a radical return to the scriptures and then a relentless, unstoppable, undaunted reformation of our attitudes and actions to conform to this. This is the absolute standard of truth. If we want to live by anything, let's live by this. And I know that when we discipline ourselves to live by this, we will experience a revival. And in our world today, especially in our country and countries like ours in the West, it's revival or bust. We need a genuine revival taking place in our country and in our churches. We heard a word today saying that very same thing. Oh, revival's happening all over the world. It's happening in other countries, on other continents, but it needs to happen here because there's something special about when it happens here. We have, at least at this point, everything we need uh, to express our faith in freedom. Uh, Other countries don't have that. And, you know, there's a sense in which that is why they are being revived and experiencing revival because it's all they have. You don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. We have too much here. But there is a great awakening that's happening, and it's continuing. And I know that it's starting here in, in people who will radically return to this and live their lives by this, because without that, there can be no genuine revival. The spiritual disciplines and the spiritual gifts They guarantee an encounter with God and the power of God. Let me say it again. The spiritual disciplines and the spiritual gifts, they are not a yoke of bondage. They are not another law. They guarantee an encounter with God and then the power of God. You can't read this book. You can't pray. You can't fast. You can't practice silence, simplicity, and solitude. You can't be generous and hospitable and practice a day of rest and not encounter God. It's a guarantee. If you do those things, you will encounter him. And when you encounter him, you will want to worship and obey him. And obeying him is, of course, fulfilling the great commission and keeping the great commandment to love him and to love others, you'll want to do those things, and you'll only be able to truly do those things with his power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that Holy Spirit gives us gifts in order to participate with him 
in ministry. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this subject. It's not just because I need to fill out the calendar with things to preach and teach about. It's because I genuinely want us to accomplish our purpose and to fulfill our mission to bring revival to the city and beyond. And I think if we practice these disciplines and gifts, we will do that because he will do it through us. Before we talk about some specific gifts this morning, let's do a compare and contrast between the gift of the Holy Spirit and gifts from the Holy Spirit. So the gift of and the gifts from the Holy Spirit. What you need to know today is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He is the gift. The gift consists of him. He is the gift. He is the one that Jesus said it was good for him to go so that the Father could send you a gift. He sent us a gift on that first Pentecost Sunday. We're going to celebrate that in 50 days or so. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. At Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon the Jewish people, because remember, salvation came first to the Jew, then the Gentile. Same with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It came to them first, not because they're better, but because they were awaiting the promise. And so it came to them. They had the privilege of receiving it first. But they are not a privileged people. They are not more privileged than you and I. But it came to them in Acts chapter 2, 38. The apostle Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you Jews here in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not the tongues that they just spoke in. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. And Peter guaranteed that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts chapter 10, and we studied this on Wednesday night, later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 45, Peter preaching to the Gentiles now at Cornelius' house. After he preached to them, it says that the believers who were among the circumcised who'd come with Peter to preach the gospel to those Gentiles were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. It was poured out even on them, even on you and upon me. So all of us who call on the name of the Lord will be saved and we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that consists of the person of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. It's the means by which Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. He's put his Spirit in us, and that Spirit doesn't come and go. He takes up permanent residence. He's an indwelling Spirit. Now, that indwelling Spirit does something amazing. He gives us gifts. These gifts of the Spirit are gifts from the Spirit. He gives them to us. Why? Well, I just mentioned it a few moments ago. So that we can do ministry in partnership with him and in his power. 
Remember that old Bible verse, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You could do some stuff for God in your own strength. You could do some stuff for God in his name, but you could also stand before him and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And, and Jesus will say of some on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. How does Jesus know who is his? Those who have the spirit living in them. Because if you call on his name, you will be saved and you will receive the gift that consists of the Holy Spirit indwelling. And then when he's living in you, he's giving you some good gifts. That's what we've been talking about these past weeks. The gifts that are from the Holy Spirit. The gifts from the Holy Spirit are resident in him. He owns them. We don't own them. He gives gifts to those who he chooses. We don't choose. Our willingness, even, and our desire to operate in a specific gift doesn't influence his decision. He gives as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12 says. So we could really want to be an apostle or a prophet or a healer, but just because we want that and deeply desire it, it doesn't mean that will happen. I mean, there's a good possibility that if you really want that, that's a desire that the Spirit has placed in you. And you can certainly grow in that and pursue that. But we can't forget that the Spirit is the one who chooses. And he chooses unlikely people. He chose me, my goodness. He chose my dad. Wow. My dad hated being the center of attention. And for over 30 years, he stood at a pulpit week after week and preached to people. God chooses people, and he chooses unlikely candidates. But if we're willing... He will use us and bear fruit through us to God. As great as the gifts from the Holy Spirit are, and when we talk about them, they get us excited because they're good. They're great gifts. Holy Spirit's a great gift giver. It's one of his love languages. He speaks all of them, by the way. As great as the gifts from the Holy Spirit are, we must never lose sight of the fact that the greatest gift is actually the Holy Spirit himself because that is a gift from God, our Heavenly Father, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to teach us. All these incredible things that the Spirit does. He is the greatest gift. He is the true gift. But he gives us gifts. They're gifts from him that we want to talk about today for the time that's left. So the most extensive explanation of the spiritual gifts, that is the gifts that are from the Holy Spirit, is in 1 Corinthians 12 through to 14. Now, we're not going to read all that. We read some of it last week. Last week, we read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. This week, we're going to read a few more passages. But in those chapters, uh, new Christians that are saved from a completely reprobate culture, not unlike our culture today, in those chapters, those new Christians in the Corinthian church, they're being coached and corrected so that they would rightly understand and practice the gifts from the Holy Spirit and not be ignorant. I always call the Corinthian church the messed up church. They certainly were. That's okay. They were still saints. Paul called them such. But they were a little messed up. They were ignorant. They didn't quite understand these gifts from the Holy Spirit. 
And so they were practicing them without order and without decency. They were just going crazy every time they got together and there was no structure and there was no building up of the body. Everyone was building themselves up by using the gifts. One of the gifts was in operation this morning, gift of tongues and interpretation, but it was to build us all up and to encourage us and to edify us. That's the purpose of the gifts. And so Paul writes this church and he says, guys, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts, so let me set it straight. So this morning we're going to read a few verses and then I'm going to make a few comments about some different gifts and then we'll conclude. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ. That's how God wants us to do church, as a body. We're all unique parts of that body and we all have unique functions, but we're all part of one body. And so Paul reminds them, you are the body of Christ. And each of you is part of it. Verse 28, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, church planters and leaders, prophets, those who foretell and tell forth the word of God, teachers, those who explain what was foretold and told forth, then miracles, then gifts of healing, gifts of helping, gifts of guidance, different kinds of tongues. Now he asks a question. It's a rhetorical question. The grammar of this question in the Greek already answers the question with a negative, no. So he asks these questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. What about teachers? Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But as we've said before in this series, are all those gifts in this building right now? Yes. Because the Holy Spirit is in this building right now because he dwells in you. And those gifts from him are resident in him. So they're all here, just not each, or not all of us operate in all these gifts. But they're all here. And if we're willing, they'll happen. But Paul says in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to eagerly desire to be deeply committed, that word eagerly means, to be deeply committed to the greater gifts. You say, wow, Paul, those gifts are pretty amazing. Apostles, prophets, teachers, healing, helping, guidance, tongues, interpretation. There's something greater than that? Yeah, absolutely. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, there is a more excellent way. It's called the way of love. And at the end of that explanation of what love truly is, you've heard it at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is my favorite one. Love keeps no record of wrong. Amen. Dad used to say, keep short accounts with God. He, used to reg he regretted that later, but he always said, keep short accounts with your wife. Always ask for forgiveness. And don't keep no record of wrong. Anyway, I digress. Let me come back. In verse 13, after he explains what love is, the more excellent way, he says, now these three remain. Three what? Three of the greater gifts. Greater than the stuff he just listed. These three greater gifts remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
Now, these gifts, faith, hope, and love, are also gifts from the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to have faith. We're going to learn in a moment that faith is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. Faith that goes beyond saving faith to living a life of faith. Hope, that's a gift from the Holy Spirit as well. If you didn't have the gift of hope from the Holy Spirit, you'd look around this world right now and you'd lose all hope, wouldn't you? But you have hope today because the Holy Spirit lives in you and gives you that gift. And love, love is the greatest gift. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can empower you to truly love God with all your being and to love others the way you love yourself. And then in verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul encourages the Corinthians who were really obsessed with gifts from the Holy Spirit. That's why he's writing them. They loved practicing these gifts in their service. Don't forget that. But they were doing it all wrong. And so he's saying, okay, let's, make, let's get first things first. And in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, follow the way of love first and foremost. Then eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit meaning gifts from the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? The Greek says that these gifts of the Spirit are called the pneumaticos. The pneumaticos is that which happens in the unseen realm where the Spirit imparts faith and reveals Christ. All the gifts from the Spirit have a purpose. They are not for us to edify ourselves. They are to edify one another, to impart faith and to reveal Christ. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit would do. He would bring to your remembrance all that I said and did. He doesn't do anything of his own accord. He doesn't speak anything that he's made up. He only does what Jesus tells him to do. He only speaks what Jesus tells him to speak. And Jesus tells him to speak things that impart faith in him and reveal him in a deeper way. That's why every time we preach, or most of the time we preach, we pray, and we say, may we see Jesus more clearly. How can we see Jesus more clearly? The Spirit reveals him to us through the gifts that he gives us. So he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially prophecy. What's prophecy? It's three things. It's foretelling the word of God. It's telling forth the word of God. And it's speaking under inspiration for edification. Foretelling the word of God is not fortune telling. It's not necessarily predicting the future. Some people have done it. The problem is, if you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're a false prophet, so you can't be wrong. So it's better then to tell forth the word of God, to tell forth what he's already written, the prophecies that are already written and canonized, and to speak under the inspiration of the Spirit to build one another up. I'm not saying that God doesn't foretell the future through people. I'm just saying, wow, it's a a dangerous gift because if you get it wrong, if you do it in your flesh and you get it wrong, I wouldn't want to be living in the Old Testament. 
be a big pile of rocks out there. Okay, let's talk about three of the spiritual gifts. In other words, gifts from the Holy Spirit. Then I'll make a conclusion. And then we'll spend some time. If you need ministry today, I want to pray for you. I want us to pray for you before you go. Discernment. In 1 Corinthians 12.10, Paul lists this gift from the Holy Spirit of discernment as being a gift from the Spirit. Defined, this spiritual gift of discernment is the ability to quickly perceive whether such things as people, events, and beliefs are from God or Satan. Simply put, if you have the gift of discernment, you can tell right away when something is from God or from Satan, whether that's a person that comes into the church, whether it's something that happens, or whether it's something someone believes. You're able to tell right away that's not from God. And listen, things are only from God or from Satan. Anything that is not absolutely true is from the father of lies. People with this gift of discernment from the Holy Spirit know that Satan and his demons disguise everything as holy. Not just some things, everything. Everything Satan does, he disguises it as something good. Because he's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. All he knows how to do. It's the only way he knows how to speak. People with the gift of discernment know this, that Satan disguises everything as holy. Everything looks good on the surface with Satan. When he showed Eve the fruit, she saw that it looked good for food. She knew it wasn't, but it looked good. I can imagine maybe he shined up that apple or that fruit real nice and made it look good for food. Satan disguises everything as good and holy. People with the gift of discernment also know that Satan empowers counterfeit miracles to deceive people. He empowers false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, and false doctrines. He's behind all of that. People with the gift of discernment can distinguish more easily and accurately the difference between what God creates and Satan counterfeits. And with every good gift that comes from the Holy Spirit, there's always a warning because he gives those good gifts to people. And people are only one-third perfect. They're only perfect from the heart. Their flesh and their mind, still imperfect. Being conformed to the image of Jesus, yes, but still imperfect. And so these gifts come with a warning. Those with the gift of discernment are more prone to be the first to see a problem with a person, teaching, or ministry. But if not careful, they can become negative, jaded, distrusting and critical of others in a way that is itself unholy and unhelpful. Guilty. Guilty. I have this gift, but I've, I've blown it. When you can see problems, sometimes it's all you can see. And sometimes you see problems where there aren't problems. So we got to be careful. If we stick, if we stick there, our discernment becomes unhelpful. People with the gift of discernment need to operate in faith, hope, and love just like everyone else while seeking to help make things better rather than just pointing out things that are wrong. 
See, if, you're, if your discernment gift stops at that's wrong, but doesn't say this is right, then it's a pointless gift. You need to practice the gift more, get better at it, use it more. And practice the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, so you can get better at it. All right, do you have this gift? Have you felt a special responsibility to protect the truth of God's word by exposing things that are wrong? Do you often make a swift evaluation of someone or something that was said that others don't see or hear, yet you were proved to be correct? Do you have a solid understanding of scripture and a sensitivity to the leading of God by his spirit? Are you keenly aware of moral sin and doctrinal heresy? Can you read a book or hear a teacher and almost immediately uncover anything that's false? Do you have an awareness of demonic presence and how to help people be free of demonic oppression? Do you have a gut feeling about people or things that prove to be right most of the time? Do people who are confused about a doctrine or about a leader or about a teacher often ask you, what do you think of so-and-so? To help them get clarity amidst their confusion, if you answered yes to one, some, or all of these questions, then you probably have the gift of discernment. Let's talk about the gift of giving. The gift of giving is also listed in 1 Corinthians, and it's uh, spoken of in Romans chapter 12, 8 as well, and defined the gift of giving is the ability to give money and other forms of wealth with joyful, or sorry, joyfully, wisely, and generously so that you can meet the needs of others and help support ministries. Now, regardless of the amount that you give, people with the gift of generosity view their treasures, their talents, and their time as a loan from God and not their own. There are some people that view the things they have as theirs, and there are others, and I know there's many of you here today, you view the things that you have as on loan from God. They're not yours. They're just borrowed. People with the gift of generosity are often moved to meet the physical needs of others. They enjoy giving of themselves and what they have. Even if they do not possess the resources to help, many are eager to pray for those who are in need, that their needs might be met. This is an incredible gift from the Holy Spirit, but even this gift, comes with a warning label because some people who are greedy and manipulative often take advantage of people with the gift of giving. They do this by seeking to benefit themselves in an ungodly way. Those with the gift of giving, and if you have that gift today, you need to learn how to say no and when to say no so that you're not just generous, but you're also wise, that you're also a good steward of what God has blessed you with. Remember, the, the gift of giving is the ability to give money and forms of wealth joyously, wisely, and generously. So you got to learn to say no. You got to learn how to and when to. No is not a bad word. Do you have this gift? Well, do you tend to see the needs of others more than other people do? Do you see needs that other people don't see? Do you see needs that 
those people are trying to hide? Do you enjoy giving of your time, talent, and treasure to help people in ministries? Do you give to worthwhile projects? As, or do you, do you view giving to worthwhile projects as an honor and a privilege rather than an obligation? I guess I'm a member here. I guess I should give. Do you see it as, yeah, I'd love to give to that. Do you give to God through your local church regularly, cheerfully, sacrificially? Do you often hear people commenting that you're a generous person? Do you find yourself looking for opportunities to give money away? Do you pray for the needs of people and organizations to be met? Is this a high priority to you? And finally, do you live with a sense of deep awe at how generous God has been to you? If you've answered yes to one, some, or all of these questions, then you probably have the gift of giving. And then finally, the gift of faith. And I know this seems like we're going through this quickly. Now, we're recording these messages, so you can listen to this again and again if you'd like. So maybe you missed something and you want to hear it again. Just go to our Rumble channel, and you can listen to the audio there. You can go to our podcast platform, too, and, and find it there. The gift of faith, finally, before I conclude. Define the gift of faith as the ability to envision what needs to be done and to trust God to accomplish it, even though it seems impossible to most people. So this gift of faith, this gift from the Holy Spirit, is slightly different than the faith that is required to put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. I mean, it's from the same source, but this gift of faith operates after we've put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. It's an ongoing faith that people live in and some people have the gift of, or gift from the Holy Spirit, rather. This gift of faith is the ability to envision what needs to be done. But not only just envision it, they have the ability to trust God to accomplish it and are willing to participate with God at all costs to see that it gets done. Now, most people look at what you see and say, it's impossible. But you, with the gift of faith, look at it and say, it's no big deal. Nothing's impossible with God. Those with this gift of faith trust God in difficult, even impossible situations. When others are ready to give up, you're just getting started. People with the gift of faith are often visionaries who dream big dreams, pray big prayers, and attempt big things for Jesus. They're not afraid to fail. Fear of failure is not in the vocabulary of people with the gift of faith. People with the gift of faith tend to be optimistic, hopeful. They're persevering. They're change-oriented. They're future-focused. They tend to be very convincing about the truth of Scripture because they themselves are so convinced of the truth and power of God and his word. Now, as you can tell, this is an amazing gift from the Spirit, and this one comes with a real big warning label. Sometimes people with the gift of faith can become irresponsible. And they can do things that God has specifically told them not to do. Think of Moses. God told him, strike the rock and water will come out of it. 
The next time they needed water, what did he think? Did it before. Worked then. Hit the rock, nothing. Hit the rock, nothing. Sometimes people with the gift of faith who've been used by God to do incredible things can become irresponsible and do things that God said don't do. When you do something that God said not to do, even with good intentions, it's still disobedience. And God does not like disobedience. You know when your kids have done something wrong, they've disobeyed you, and then their excuse is, I didn't mean to? Does that do anything, Mom, Dad? doesn't matter if you meant to or not. You still did it. And usually you're saying you didn't mean to because you meant to and you don't want to get in trouble for it. Not that that's ever happened in my house. I mean, it's great to dream big and to have vision. Wow, God, we're going to do this for you. But if God said don't do it, it's disobedience. He cannot and will not honor it. People that have the gift of faith but become irresponsible, they say they're trusting God and, and they're praying for him to show up and do what he's already told them not to do. You can trust God all you want and pray all you want if he's told you no. You didn't listen. You're not operating in faith. You're operating in folly. So do you have this gift? Here's a few questions. Do you view obstacles as opportunities to trust God for the impossible? Some people see an obstacle and they go, oh, not meant to be. You see an obstacle and you go, all right, it's time to trust God now. Do you find yourself frequently telling stories about the power of God and what you've seen him do? Do you get motivated by new ministries and new opportunities? Do you find yourself feeling opposed to anyone who expresses that something just can't be done? Do you find others believe, uh, other believers coming to you for hope when, when they face a seemingly overwhelming trial or task? Are you the one that they lean on when they go through something difficult in their personal lives and their marriage or their job or family? They're like, man, I don't think I can do it, but they come to you and you encourage them and you build them up, you, you pour courage on them. Do you get frustrated when, when you see people and ministries stuck in a rut, not making plans for the future, not having hope or vision for something better? Do you tend to be less emotionally up and down than people you know? Are you more even keeled with a strong sense of God's faithfulness? Do you have a big God and high trust in God's good and sovereign providential rule over things? Wow, that was a big one. And finally, do you have an effective prayer ministry with many wonderful answers to prayer that were impossible apart from God's intervention? If you've answered yes to one, some, or all of those questions, then you probably have this gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. Let me conclude. All the gifts, especially the greater gifts, faith, hope, and love. 
they are absolutely necessary for us to fulfill our mission and accomplish our purpose, which is to bring revival to Bowmanville and beyond. We need these gifts to be in operation. Each and every one of us needs to be obedient to the Holy Spirit who enables us for ministry in a particular area. I talked to some of you, and you've, you've, you've heard the descriptions of these gifts, and you've heard me ask these questions, and so far, some of you have said no to absolutely every question I've asked. That's all right. There's three more weeks to talk about this. Your gift is there. Now, you might hear these descriptions and hear these questions and go, I wish I could say yes to one of them. Okay, that's all right. If you can't say yes to one of them, that's okay. There is something you're going to say yes to eventually. But if you don't know what your gift is, you haven't found it yet, don't get discouraged. Go practice the disciplines. Bible reading, prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, simplicity, generosity, hospitality, Sabbath. Go practice those things because they guarantee an encounter with God who gives gifts. Guaranteed. You do those things, you will encounter God. Go back and practice the disciplines and you will discover your gift. You have a gift. The Spirit wants to use you in a particular way. He's crafted you and designed you in such a way that there is a gift from him that you can use. And so we need you to use your gift. I said it last week, don't expect for revival to come to Bowmanville and beyond through my charisma or through Pastor Joel or through your pastor's council or your worship team or, or any church leader. Like, that's not how it works. Revival comes when we all use our gifts, when we all operate in the gifts, when we each do our part, when we function like a body, like a family. No one body part is greater than the other. We're all needed and necessary. And so I want you, I desperately want you to discover your gift because I don't want you to get left behind or left out. God is doing great things. There's going to be an explosion. I believe that. We, that word explosion, we were talking about, Peter, back in January in our prayer group, that there's going to be an explo explosion of growth in our church and in the church. And it's, and it's confirmed by you today. I don't want you to get left behind or left out. We won't, we won't go on without you, really, but we don't want you to get left out. All of us have a vital role to play in the body. I, as your pastor, I'm called to equip you and to lead this organization. Paul said that the role of the pastor, the one who holds the office of pastor, is called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, and you're doing it. Man, are you doing it. You've risen to the occasion. I mean, yesterday was a powerful example. I didn't get to be here. I was home with one of my daughters who was sick, but all the, the positive feedback I heard and how involved you guys got yesterday in that pancake uh, breakfast and, and seeing the children involved today in service and all the people that serve and do ministry in, in our children's ministry and other areas, you're doing it. There's a boy getting baptized next week who... what? 
didn't even think about getting baptized until he heard about it in Life Kids two weeks ago, not from Pastor Trina, but from one of the other volunteers that teaches one of the small groups. That's the impact that you can have. It's not just about what the ministry professionals can do. It's about what you can do, and I believe you can do it. I believe God's called you to do it, to have a profound impact in this church and in this community. You're called to do the work of the ministry, and I commend you. You're doing it. Let's keep going. Let's keep working. And let's confront the enemy. Let's confront that enemy. I hate that enemy of ours. Let's confront him. Oh, not in our own strength. My goodness, if we, if we went up against the prince and uh, power of the air in our own strength, not a chance. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The same power that rolled the stone away, we sang it this morning, is alive in us today. We confront that enemy. We get rid of him. We get him out of our institutions. We run him out of town. That's what I want to do. I want to run him right out of Bowmanville. We can only do that. Yeah. We can only do that if we together operate as a body, as a family. If we're convinced, if we're committed, if we're sold out, if we're operating in these gifts, there is no limit to what we can do. I said this phrase last week, and I love it, and I want you to remember it. When we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we exceed the limitations of our humanness. We're so limited. But when we operate in the gifts, power of the Holy Spirit, there's no limit. We exceed the limitations of our humanness, just as Jesus did. Jesus, fully God, fully man, when he was alive on earth, two natures, fully God, fully man, all the incredible things he did, all the miracles he performed was not through his God nature, but through his human nature that was fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. He exceeded the limitations of his humanness by relying on the Spirit, and we can too. We desperately need an encounter with God and the power of God. You think about that. Amen.